0: This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless, from the campus of the University of Portland, with special guest, Portland Timbers president, Mike Golub. Why do people
1: root for their sports teams? What, what is at the heart of the connection that a sports team has with its fans? And in my mind, it's, it's feeling part of something bigger than you are, and feeling an identity with that team, and feeling like that team represents you and your city in an authentic and true way.
2: Now, here's the host of Sports Business Radio, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. It's a special edition of Sports Business Radio. We had our road show at the University of Portland this last week, and it was great to be joined by Mike Golub, the president of the Portland Timbers the MLS Cup defending champion Portland Timbers lots of thank yous Doug Lauder and Louise Chapman from Boingo Wireless were there Jason Bro and Scott Lycom from the University of Portland thanks to them for hosting us but Brian Griggs our executive producer joins me now Griggs Another fun road show. Great questions from the students and uh, good energy at the event.
0: It's always good. I mean, these road show events are super. Uh, they're super intimate, but they're super uh, and they're exclusive. I mean, you're hearing stuff that no one else is ever going to hear from these guests. We have great guest. Mike was awesome. Very personable. He was interacting with the audience, asking them questions, which was awesome. I love that too. And yeah, it was a great event. U uh, of P did awesome, good hosting, and uh, it was a fun time
2: for sure. Well, in such a great insight from Mike. Mike has worked. For Nike. He's worked for Major League Baseball. He's worked in the NHL, the NBA, and now Major League Soccer as the president of the Portland Timbers. So a diverse skill set of experience for him. And I thought he gave the students some really good tips about a career in sports. But he also talked about connecting the dots with the community and fans and why there's such a connection between sports fans and their favorite team. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I thought the questions from the students were really good. So, you know, after my conversation, make sure that you listen to the questions, very insightful questions from the University of Portland students. So that made for uh, a good element of the show as well. You know what I
0: like, too, is Mike was very uh, one-on-one with the kids. Like he was right. telling them some great, great advice for kids in, in college. Yeah. Just like simple Tangible to do. advice. Very. Like they could, they could leave, the second they left there, could use it. Yeah. Like, you know, just relationships. He really hit a lot on relationships and getting to know people and, you know, manufacturing and and growing those relationships because you never know who you're going to be working with.
2: Well, the fun thing for me with this, two things. One- We got to do this in our backyard. So it's a road show, but we got to do it in Portland and at the University of Portland, which was a lot of fun. But two, I've known Mike Golub for 25 years. So it was like sitting down with a friend and having a conversation that everyone else got to eavesdrop in on. And, you know, Mike really uh, shared his wisdom and knowledge for many years in the sports industry. The Timbers are up for Team of the Year Sports Business Journal has nominated them as sports team of the year. Uh, They're up against the Golden State Warriors, the Carolina Panthers, the Kansas City Royals. So that is quite an honor. And then, you know, Mike has been MLS executive of the year for two of the last three years, Greg. So, you know, this is a guy who, as many would tell you who have worked with him, he's one of the sharpest minds in sports business. So, uh, a great honor for us to get to sit down with him.
0: And I mean, look at his history. We talked about it. You'll hear in this, the show here is, you know, started out wanting to be a lawyer, didn't know about that, then went to Apple. I mean, the guy's been everywhere. He's not just been sports. He's worked with Apple and these huge corporations and companies, and it's been pretty awesome. It was a good conversation. You'll enjoy it.
2: And just like we found with Jeannie Bus at our last road show at USC, Mike is, you know, someone who carries a big title and an important job, but one of the most approachable down-to-earth people that you would ever meet. So, you know, I think it's great for the students to get to pick the brains of our guests at these road shows. And uh, without further ado, here is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo Wireless at the University of Portland.
0: Good evening everyone, thanks for showing up. Uh, This is a really exciting opportunity for us when when Brian reached out to Scott Lakeham and myself and wanted to bring their Sports Business Radio Roadshow here to Portland where he's based out of. It was a really exciting opportunity for us. um, I think as you're gonna see tonight, the, the guest that uh, Brian is going to be chatting with is um, has done a lot, not just in this market, but on a national scale. So we're really excited they chose to come to the University of Portland. We encourage you to be interactive, ask some good questions. You don't get a lot of opportunities like this. Um, so again, thanks for coming. And uh, to get us going, um, we're going to bring up Doug Lauder from Boingo. He's going to introduce our guests here at the University of Portland. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, and uh, thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. Uh, I won't steal the show for too long because we've got a great interview tonight. Uh, Boingo, we are a technology company. We build wireless networks, and wireless networks are not just for your home or for your dorm room. They're for stadiums, airports, um, and more importantly, what we do in the sports and entertainment vertical is we build really great wireless networks to help teams like the Portland Timbers connect with their fans. Video replays, in-seat concessions, uh, mobile ticketing, things like that. Uh, So for those of you considering a career in sports, uh, you don't have to go work at Nike. You don't have to go work for the Portland Timbers. You can go work for a technology company. Uh, Just think about where technology and sports intermix. Uh, That's what Boingo does. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to Brian Berger.
2: Thank you. How's everyone doing? So my name is Brian Berger. I'm the host of Sports Business Radio. We've been doing this show for about 12 years now. And one of our favorite things is to get out of the studio and bring our shows to college campuses where we can have a special guest like uh, our guest tonight, Portland Timbers President Mike Golub. Um, I want to thank the University of Portland for hosting us. Uh, Great to see some students out here. Hopefully you have some good questions at the end of our conversation. We'll open it up for Q&A with you. Thank you so much to Boingo Wireless for being here and for being our sponsor of the road show, so we can take our show on the road to different campuses. So, without further ado, let's give a round of applause to Mike Golub, the president of the Timbers.
1: So, uh, people in, in podcast land can't see it, but I want to show you guys my my cool UP shoes I had broke out. Purple, Purple shoes, shoes, nice,
2: yeah. excellent. Thank you for being here. So, one of the things we do with our road show is we start off by talking about. Uh, the college experience, and I know you went to Dartmouth, you uh, went to graduate school at Stanford, but University of Portland has a, a place near and dear to your heart, You're season ticket holder for the basketball games, courtside, T2 plays their games here, but take us back to your college experience. You studied law and thought you were going to become a lawyer, but then things changed. How'd they change?
1: Yeah, so when I was sort of in your shoes, uh, years ago, um, you know, sports was not really perceived as a big business, as a sort of a career option. So I was on this, you know, pretty good student, went to good school on a sort of liberal arts track, like many of you may be, and just thought I'd have sort of a traditional, respectable career. And so law seemed to be the thing. And um, it was my senior year, and they're probably like at UP, there are these on campus interviews companies come and recruit students, and you sign up. and I signed up for a few and the last one was some retail company and my heart wasn't in it. I was out in the, uh, the green, like your quad. I was working on a snow sculpture, which is what we do at Dartmouth. And um, I was gonna blow off the, the interview and um, I was in these boots and caked with snow and a big red stocking cap on And My conscience got the better of me. And I said, I, I gotta go, I can't blow this off. So I went and I sat down with the guy. I said, listen, I'm really sorry I signed up. I don't wanna waste your time. My heart's not in it. Uh, he goes, oh, come sit down, come sit down. And this guy became a mentor. And he basically told me, you gotta pursue what's in here. Find something that, that you can live and breathe and eat and uh, an industry that you just you know, can't live without. And for me, that's sports. And uh, I really haven't looked back since. Um, from Dartmouth, I, I was able to get a job with Major League Baseball Productions. It was the TV arm of baseball um, in New York. And I started as a schlep. Um, and graduated to, like, assistant schlep, uh, but um, started producing TV shows for Major League Baseball, and from there went, went, went on to get my master's in business and kept going.
2: Where did your passion and love for sports come from when you were growing up? So you talked about, you know, pursuing what was in here, but where did that develop?
1: It was interesting. My dad My dad was born in Poland and, and fled Poland uh, before World, World War II and came to New York and became a big baseball fan, uh, grew up in Brooklyn, became a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. My mom grew up in northern Manhattan and was a Giants fan, and so that set the tone for the marriage right there. Um, but sports was, sports was always a thread in my family. My grandfather was a semi-pro baseball player, and it was always sort of our thread and the glue of our family, and I learned to read off baseball cards, and I played sports through high school, I played soccer at Dartmouth for a bit, and it was just, it was always my passion, my family's passion, and, and it really wasn't until sort of tail end of college did it, the light go on and say, maybe, maybe there's a career here. I certainly wasn't talented enough to be, have a career on the field, but, but maybe there was a career uh, off the field in the front office, and uh, so it's really been, it's really been a glue to my family, and my, my last, the last time I spent with my dad was at a Mets game, and um, in his hospital room watching a Thorns game online. And so to the day my, my dad passed away, um, sports was, was, our, was our common thread. You had an important internship
2: at Apple when you were in college. How did that change your path and, and what did you learn from that experience?
1: Sort of compare um, career path to relationships. You gotta go through some crappy ones <laughs> along the way. You gotta get scorned. You gotta say, oh my God, this person's not for me. And, you got to be dumped once or twice and dump a couple times until you really find the right person. God, yeah, this person's for me. This is going to work. And I think finding a job is like that, too. Um, there are some people who know right away, maybe some of you out there know, I, I want to be this, and it's going to work out for you. But for, the mo- for, but, but, the, but for most of you, I think the line's going to be anything but straight. You're going to find things you like, but you learn so much from, from the situations that aren't right. You know, when you have if you've had a bad relationship, hopefully you haven't, but if you've had a bad one, how much better prepared are you going to the next one for what you're looking for and what you want to put into it? And not that I had a bad situation at Apple, I had a great time at Apple. Um, the, one of the early Macs that just came out. I was working with a creative team, creative marketing team. It was very cool, and Apple was a, a great place to work. But for me, it was sort of reaffirmation that I have to be in sports. I, 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 to this day, I still very much follow the technology sector and the the computer industry, and Apple specifically, and I didn't buy stock then, I should have. uh, I would have had a lot more purple shoes if I didn't (laughs) Um, But for me, it was like, you know, I I don't see myself ever just really being consumed by the technology industry in the way that I'm consumed by sports. And so for me, it was a great summer. It was a summer between years at business school, but it was a great reaffirmation for me that my heart uh, and ultimately, my career path had to be in sports. Speaking of technology, I
2: forgot to mention this. You see behind us, we have visuals being presented by our friends at Pastano. If you use the hashtag U of Portland when you're posting on social media tonight, you might see it uh, pop up here in the uh, studio, and it'll certainly aggregate online as well. Um, you're one of the few people I know, maybe the only person I know, that's worked Major League Baseball, Nike... NHL, NBA, and now Major League Soccer. Lots of different experiences. You hold a job, basically. No, you, <laughs> you can hold a job, and they've all been senior-level jobs. Mike and I first met in 1995 uh, tennis with a twist. Nike Cup tennis. I used to work for the Blazers, and Nike Cup came to uh, the Rose Garden, which is now the Moda Center. So what was it? It was like Agassi and Sampras and few other guys but one of the things you did is is you created events for for nike sports and worked with their athletes and um, then you've transitioned you worked with the vancouver grizzlies you've moved a, a basketball team from vancouver to memphis lots of different experiences how has that helped you in the position that you're in now overseeing everything for the timbers
1: you know, it's interesting I, I have there are people in the business who've done very well have been in sort of one area of the business. My one of my close friends in the business is the president of the Golden State Warriors, Rick Welch, and he started as a ball boy for the Seattle Supersonics and he's mm. stayed in basketball all, all his career and is now president of the most successful NBA team. And that's a great path. Um, my path has been different. I've worked in different sports, I've worked in front office, I worked at the league, I worked with Nike. And you know, every job you draw something. For me, having worked in different markets has been really, really incredible learning experience. Having worked uh, on the team side, but also on the league side. Mm-hmm. So you see sort of the macro picture of the sport uh, on a national international basis. You're dealing with all the teams. You're dealing with national sponsors, national broadcaster. You're seeing sort of the, the big picture of the league and having worked at the team level where you, you're in the market every day and you're connecting with the fans and you're building a brand from the grassroots and you're living and dying with the wins and losses. And for me, having that, that, that variety of experiences uh, from different vantage points in the industry and different sort of Um, parts of the spectrum of the sort of delivery process, if you will, has been really, really helpful, and and I can apply it. I've I've been on the broadcast side, which is a huge engine in the sports business. I've been on the facility side, which is uh, really a critical component of any successful sports property, having the right facility, same thing here on the University of Portland campus. And so having had the sort of different perspectives and different vantage points and different types of experience, I think, serves me well. I think I, I bring that sort of um, mix of experience to my sort of daily life now. So
2: for the students out here that may be thinking of a career in sports, you know, you just said lots of different jobs. You took experience from one job to the next. You talked about, you know, when you were in college, what advice would you give them as they pursue a career?
1: You know it's interesting. Um, I get I get a lot of calls from some students uh, who I know, or from my my alma maters. If that, that's plural, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> they'd be embarrassed, my alma maters, if I use that word. Um, but it's interesting. Like you, you know, if, how many any of you trying to study medicine here? Well, if you're studying medicine, you know you're starting now and you're taking prereqs, and you're doing things and you're gearing up for med school, mm, medical school. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but anyway. I'm, you know, you're, you're preparing. And I think in sports, you have to do the same thing. And so if you're, if you think now as an undergraduate, you're considering sports, you should be taking steps now just as you would in any other vocation um, to be ready. So that means your, your independent study, do it around sports, your internships, try to do it around sports, your, you know, your, your the reading that you're doing uh, on the side, try to make it into sports. And so when you're out of school and you knock on a door of someone like me, and say I'd like to work in the business, already you have a body of work and experience and more, and more than anything, um, a clear sense of direction. And so we've got a number of UP alumni, alumni working in the Timbers and to a person, they've been great. Uh, but what I'm really impressed by when I see a young person is they, they have direction, they've taken steps already to pursue it, we don't expect any of you to come off campus here on the bluff and be ready to, to have a high level job. We know that you're, but we're looking for, motivated, directed, people who know what they want to do uh, who are going to work their butt off, going to be good teammates, and those are things you can begin working on now there's so
2: many ways to connect with people today LinkedIn, social media, email If someone was trying to get in touch with the Timbers, about pursuing an opportunity to break in the door, I mean I remember I interned with the blazers, I used to work with the blazers and, and started $500 a month I made pulling cable for, for broadcasters and getting coffee and doing whatever I could. But, you know, my entry point was a friend that I had with, with the team. Any, any insight as to how people can kind of get that foot in the door?
1: Yeah, there's a friend, a friend of mine. Um, he's uh, one of the top executive recruiters in the country. His name is Bob Bodine um, out of Dallas. And he's written a book called The Power of Who. And he cites that incredibly high percentage of jobs are uh, you get a high percent of jobs from people you know and think about it if you're in a, if you're a hiring manager you want the best candidate but if you happen to know someone or know someone who knows that person you're just more predisposed to hiring that person and so you guys one of the things you, you're doing at school obviously you're making some really close friends those friends and friends of those friends and associates of those friends are incredible resources. And don't be shy about it. You know, if you, if you just called me out of the blue and wanted to spend some time with me, I'd probably, I'd be polite, but I'd probably be reticent to sit down and take a half an hour out of my day. But if someone I knew, really knew and liked said, hey, would you mind spending some time with this person, he or she is really a bright young person, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat as a favor of that friend. And so um, be genuine in those relationships but don't be shy about using them. Um, and um, you guys, you know, if, it, if it's sports or anything else you're interested in, use your time here now to go, you have so many, across the river, you have so many great people doing so many interesting things in so many industries. You think of sort of the city of Portland as a classroom or a laboratory, if you will, and go out there and, and sit down with people. People are generous with their time, especially if it's not in the context of I want a job, If it's more in the context, hey, can I buy a cup of coffee and learn more about um, Puppet Labs, a great company in town? Would you mind just spending half an hour with me? People are generous with their time and you come out knowing someone, knowing more and being sort of better prepared to make sort of career decisions. So um, build genuine relationships, um, keep the friendships that you've built here alive and well, even after graduation. And uh, don't be shy to use your network of friends. What an incredible last year for the timbers
2: five years in you win the mls cup great excitement uh the timbers for those of you who don't know were just nominated for sports team of the year by the sports business journal so you'll be in new york next month and who is it golden state warriors kansas city royals Charlotte, uh, carolina panthers carolina panthers and um yeah and Fort you Rose. guys so i mean that's quite a list to be on. You were nominated in, in 2013. Hopefully this time you, you bring home the hardware. But do you ever sit back and go, wow, this is the dream scenario. Everything that we've worked so hard for culminated in the past year.
1: I have a colleague, Keith, here. And it's interesting. It was an amazing, amazing run to see see it all come together and see the city go nuts and to have all our hard work on and off the field come to fruition the way it has. It was one of those goosebump moments I'll remember for the rest of my life. But it's interesting, you know, you get to work right away the next day and it's about the next season and the next deal. And, and um, you know, it comes in waves and like, oh my gosh, we won the championship. But, uh, but think about in, in your lives, the, the accomplishments you guys have. You're not at UP. You're at UP because you've done some really good things already. Uh, but, you know, you're only as good as you are, you know, today and tomorrow. And so um, it's incredibly rewarding um, but we've got more to do, and the focus now is sort of the next game and the next deal and keeping us moving forward. Uh, we're still a really young organization in a young sport, in, in a young league, uh, but it was, it was a really remarkable um, run for us last year and one that I think will people who had a chance to experience it will remember for quite a long time.
2: The parade here was, was epic. Anyone who was at the parade or saw it you know, online, pouring rain... But the streets were filled with fans and floats going up Broadway, and that's
1: got to be one of the highlights of your career, I'd imagine. Yeah, so we, we, uh, we, flew, uh, we, we, we flew, the team flew back Monday, the game was Sunday, we flew back Monday. Um, we were delayed coming out of Columbus, and we got to PDX, and they had closed the upper roadway of the, uh, the airport for fans, since so we... He brought us out sort of a separate way, back way, and all of a sudden there was 3,000 people in the open road, 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 road. Oh, my gosh. And to see the joy in, people, to see the joy in other people's faces, for, I think for us, was was just just really mind-boggling. And then I went back, we had been... It was a weird one, because you had to plan... You, we, we'd be remiss not to have planned the parade for weeks, but we didn't know whether we were going to be in the game, and if we were in the game, we didn't know if we were going to win. So it was a really weird thing to plan, like, if we were to win, this is what's going to happen. And so... We had been working with the city for several weeks and had this parade in mind, but we didn't make the sort of final call call on the parade until Monday night at 7, and we we sent out a press release and blasted out on social media that we're having this parade the next day at noon. So the team um, gets on the bus um, at the stadium at 11.30 the next morning, Tuesday, and then we got a police escort down Burnside, and that was maybe the highlight, to have Burnside completely clear. (laughs) I I think I'm like... You know the parade is all right but this was pretty cool um and then we started uh started the parade at the beginning of well we were the parade started at kind of where um the benson is but we started a few blocks before on broadway and we were kind of telling guys you know we might not you know i don't know how many people are gonna show up it's raining it was last minute and we didn't really couldn't really see a few blocks up and we we hit the first block of people and it was people hanging out of, you know the buildings and wall-to-wall people and, police said it was 25 30,000 people there it was even for the most jaded it was it was one of those most remarkable experiences to be to be part of you're not amongst the most jaded though are you no no i mean i tell you um you know i think um you know i, I don't take any of this for granted yeah. and to, you got to enjoy the, these kind of moments whatever moments you know the good moments you have in your life you got to soak them in and this was clearly one of them so
2: the Portland Timbers have an interesting challenge. Uh, for those listening to this broadcast, you have a 13,000 person waiting list for tickets. I know you leave some availability, so what is it, fifteen five that you have for your season ticket base, and then you know, you've got a few thousand tickets per game that are available to fans. But most teams, their number one initiative is to sell tickets you've got a 13000 person waiting list how does that change your model so that you keep fans engaged knowing that a lot of them won't be able to get a ticket to see a game
1: yeah it's a really good problem to have and you know we remind ourselves a lot that listen we've had some good early success and we're filling the building and people who really who who are engaged with us really really enjoy it but we're still really young and soccer as a professional sport is still really young and we're very much, as a league, and certainly as a club, very much in the mode of, of still building our brand and still turning more and more people onto the game. So the conundrum is, how do you how do you do that if you are constrained with the number of seats you have? The best way to turn someone onto the magic of the Timbers is to actually go to a game. And so how do you, how do you how do you convert someone who, who doesn't have access to those games? And so that's something we think about a lot, um, uh, you know, in, in 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 our organization and. And so we, we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about how, how to make our broadcast better, because a lot of people are fans of their sports team, whatever sport they are, whatever market they are, and never go to a game. They, can, they consume and follow online, and watching on TV, and listening to the radio, and, and, um, and so we, we try to put as much into our broadcast as possible. And that's why we do as much as we can in the community. If we touch a family in need, or young kids in need, or uh, through our community outreach, those are fans for life, even if they've never experienced a game. And then, you know, we're looking at things that virtual reality is, you know, it's coming on strong. Um, the technology has really um, increased pretty rapidly. Uh, the expense of providing it has, has dropped significantly. Could virtual reality, could someone be at home and, and experience Providence Park during this Timbers game on, on a headset and make it feel real and, and effectively extend the stadium out to people's homes? That's something we're, we're looking at. Uh, You know, we added the Thorns. The Thorns is our professional women's team. We average 15,000 fans a game. It's the most uh, highly attended women's pro soccer team in the world. So a lot of people who can't have access to Timbers love the Thorns. We have the Timbers 2, which is a reserve team. We play many of our games right here in UP. So people can see professional soccer, albeit on a a lower level. Um, And we're looking at um, possibly expanding um, Providence Park, it's a historic stadium. How many of you have been to the stadium or game? Good, a good number of you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really cool building. It's got such great history and such great bones and it's got a really distinct vibe to it. Uh, but it's, it's got its constraints, it's locked in the city streets, it's tight, which adds to the flavor of it. But we're looking at ways that, how can we retain the essence of the experience and maybe add two, five, 10,000 seats at some point. So we're looking seriously at expansion um, so those are some of the things we're thinking about. Listen, it's a good problem to have, right, um, to, be, to have that kind of demand and um, to know that we're going to be sold out every time. and um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to have, but we're, we think about that a lot. How do we continue to expose people to the game and to our club, uh, even if we are so constrained uh, with seats?
2: The other thing that the Timbers have done so well, you've got your, your Stand Together community campaign. Um, and then I love how you've integrated local businesses, whether it's food carts or local sponsors that are homegrown into what you do. Maybe you can discuss that a little bit, because I know, you know, for a lot of teams, it's, it's who's the highest bidder? Who's given us the most money and we're going to go with them versus how do we stay true to our roots?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you really boil down, you know, in my mind, if you really look at the crux of what makes sports teams tick, why do people root for their sports teams? What, what is at the heart of the connection that a sports team has with its fans? And in my mind, it's, it's feeling part of something bigger than you are and feeling an identity with that team and feeling like that team represents you and your city in an authentic and true way and, being, and basically creating community within the community. So if you buy that premise, and then if you buy that premise, which I think you know, we certainly do at the Timbers, then you need to operate your business in a way that's reflective of those beliefs and of that ethos of being authentic and true to your community. And that extends with everything you do. It's it's who you hire. We try to hire Portlanders whenever we can. What ad agency do we use? We try to use Portlanders. What food do you serve? You serve food that's true, reflective of this great culinary community we have and um, you know Keith Keith is in our sponsorship area uh, the dapper guy in there in the fifth row and we did a national search for for a sponsorship position and Keith we found right here in Portland and so it we really want to be authentic and true to our community and that goes from from the food to the people we hire and how we present our game um, and so uh, it's been really successful and it's good to see other venues um, in, in this market do the same
2: So 1926, the stadium was built. We have our friends from Boingo Wireless here. You know, one of the big things when you go to a sporting event is people want to get on social media. They want to post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all their different channels. How important is that experience for the fans now to be connected wirelessly when they walk in the venue and are able to share their experience? I mean, the the penalty kicks game last year, I saw more posts on social media from that game. I unfortunately wasn't able to attend, but I felt like I was there because I saw everyone's social media posts.
1: Well, it's, I mean, generally, the, the, we don't spend a cent on, on paid media. Um, we have um, our, our community is, is all online. And mm-hmm. um, the, it, that's where the engagement is. We were talking before about the, the live experience, and one of the cool things about soccer, let me ask you guys a question. Football and baseball have fairly similar statistics in the number of minutes per game of action. So in football, action is defined as snap to whistle, baseball, pitch, balls, and play. So in a three-hour and 20-minute football game and three-hour and five-minute, which is the average baseball game, how much um, time is, is, is there actually action? Any guesses? Football, baseball? An hour and a half, 30 minutes? 12 minutes, well, you're close. It's about 14 or 15 minutes of actual action. So think about that. In baseball games, you go to a three-hour baseball game, and it's 14 minutes or so of action. So, listen, it has its own rhythm, and, it's, and, and they're both amazing sports and, you know, very successful businesses. But it's a different rhythm, and I think it lends itself to broadcast differently than soccer does. Soccer it's close to 70 minutes, by the way. And so it, it lends itself differently. There's more downtime to watch replays, consume replays on your mobile device or at home and interact. Soccer is a much more lean forward kind of experience and you don't want to miss a moment because it could be the moment. Uh, with, you know, Scoring isn't the highest. Um, so um, more generally, social media, soccer really speaks to, to young people, to millennials, more so than any of the major sports. We really index high among young people, among Hispanics, and, and young people are obviously so engaged. Um, in technology so it's a huge part of our strategy and the league strategy the live experience however it's a little bit different because people are standing and cheering and chanting and but for halftime and pre and post game they're not and that's what that's part of the magic so big part of our strategy the live experience you know we're still you know we're still very much a lean forward if you will kind of experience
2: for those uh, listening to this who have never been to a portland timbers game Timbers Army is a big part of the experience. I've always said on Sports Business Radio that I think they may be the best fan support group that I've ever seen for, for any team. And they're so loyal, and they make the TIFOs, and uh, it's just really a big part of the experience when you come to the Timbers game. But some people have compared going to a Timbers game to English Premier League and, and you know, really, hey, this is like international soccer. It's a unique experience unlike any other experience in, in North America. How do you create that experience?
1: Oh, well, we don't, and we don't take credit for it. Really, is the, the magic is really with our fans and the supporters. Um, I, I like to think we, we help create the conditions to let them flourish. We had a, our home opener a few years ago, and the president of NBC Sports came out. We were on NBC at the time. And he, this is a guy who's seen every sporting event live uh, imaginable, and he said, this is the best live sporting experience I've ever seen. Wow. Unsolicited. Um, we have just unbelievable fans, and the, the, the Timbers Army started with eight drunkards in, 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 <laughs> to, in 2000 banging a drum. We have pictures of, of these guys in 2000 banging a drum, and these guys who have been to a game. You see what it is. It's overflowing 7,000 people on their feet, jammed in, cheering and, and chanting, and, uh, and they get all the credit. It's, and that's what makes it so, so authentic. It's been this organic movement, um, and that's not too strong a word. Um we have a great relationship with them. We've done a lot of things collaboratively. They would say the same thing. We're so supportive of them. I like to think we've created the conditions for them to grow. But what makes it so great is not a top-down, engineered, fabricated thing. Right. It is so genuine. And um, it's really special. They, the Army, they have a governing body. They have committees. They, have, they travel to all the games Around the, around the country, you go you go to Orlando a couple of weeks ago. There was hundreds of Timbers Army people in Orlando. Go to Seattle. There's 1,500, and would be more if they gave us more tickets. They have blood drives. We're working together on rehabbing fields around the community. It's just a remarkable movement. Um, this is a group of people who love their, their you know they love their team, and, and their town. And it's it's really a magical thing, and uh, they get all the credit. Um, and it's it, it's it's really one of the things that really differentiates us.
2: You have other sports teams from around the country, various leagues, that come to Portland and they want to talk to you about, hey, what are you doing here in Portland? What are the timbers doing that we can replicate and take back to our city? What advice are you giving them?
1: You know, we did the same thing when we launched. We, we went around sports and, um, and sat down with people who were doing things right and, um, and tried to learn what could work um, in our market and um we've had we've had the new zealand cricket team korean soccer league we've had um english championship league teams the timberwolves came minnesota timberwolves came in interestingly and studied the timbers army and ended up creating the timberwolves army actually oh. uh, um but listen if you're in any business you know you'd be you'd be remiss not to to find out what other teams are doing and learn from them and see if it applies and you know I, I try not to be prescriptive because it has to work in your market. It has to work in your building, in your market, with your fans, and one size doesn 't fit all right. and you know the, the magic of what we have here is we found something that resonates with our with our fans, with our city that 's true to who we are as a city and as a club, and that connection has become really, really, really powerful and that might not work that, that, that equation might not be the same equation in another market, but you know whatever business you go in uh, down the road. You have to learn from others, and we do that all the time and and, uh, uh, and share information all the time and um, that 's part of what makes this league fun we 're young we 're in our twenty first season so we 're still growing as a league and we 're learning from each other
2: discuss that a little bit more, so the growth of major league soccer we 're seeing expansion and you know expanded TV rights and broadcasts and you always say this is a young league. If you forecast 5, 10 years from now, where's the league going?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing trajectory. The league is 21 years old, and you compare that to baseball. that has been around since the 1970s. Football has been around 100 years, hockey 95 years, NBA 70 years. Uh, we're 21. We're about pages, you know, many of you out there. <laughs> um, so we're kind of first-generation league. And that's really fun for all of us to see this league continue to come of age. And, um, and all the new teams are doing extremely well. Uh, our attendance now outpaces, our average per-game attendance for the last three years is better than the NBA or NHL's per-game attendance. Um, we have a new, we're in year two of a new uh, TV deal with ESPN and Fox. Uh, franchise values have gone up exponentially. Uh, you see teams like Orlando came in last year and they were averaging 35, 40,000 fans a game. Seattle up the road averages 40,000 fans a game. This is a sport that's on a rise because young people like yourselves love the game and are connecting with the game in in, in new ways. Um, So the league is is on a wonderful trajectory. There's more expansion coming next year. Atlanta and Minnesota start in two years. uh, Miami and LA second team begin. The commissioner announced uh, expansion to four more teams uh, by 2020. And so if you look at this as a stock, as a growth stock, and the commissioner said we want to be one of the top leagues in the world uh, by 2024, and I think we're on the way. And another interesting thing about our sport, NBA, the best players in the world play in the NBA. The NHL, the best hockey players in the world play here. We're not, admittedly, we're not the best soccer league in the world, um, which, which has opportunities and challenges. Mm-hmm. And, but that, that's our objective over time, and, and we're certainly on a... A really good path
2: too fast i mean we just talked about all the expansion do you ever have concerns of whoa let's pump the brakes here a little bit or is it you know what let's if we're getting 35 40,000 in orlando which by the way shocks me because i've been to orlando and it seems like a very touristy city so to see that many people going
1: to the soccer games there really does say about a lot about mls i mean all you have to do is look around the country and there's cities lining up to get an mls team hmm. San Diego, Austin, San Antonio, Minnesota, St. Louis, Charlotte, the list goes on. Team markets desperately want them for all the reasons we talked about. And we're, we're, a huge, we're a huge country, obviously. The other sports leagues have 30, 30 32 teams in their respective leagues. And so we have, a, we have a massive market that's increasingly falling in love with this sport. Uh, we've managed our expansion as a league really successfully. Every team that's come on over the last eight or 10 years have had enormous success. And so, um, no, I think we're doing it right. For our students and for our listening
2: audience, in general terms, if you want to buy a team in MLS today, what's what's the team going for?
1: Isn't it like two hundred and fifty million? Uh, no, not you know. It varies obviously by market, and and um, I mean it's public. You know, it's public. Some of some of the some of the franchise uh, expansion fees, but um, you know, they're they're low. Uh, nine figures, well, you know, so 100, mm-hmm. 200 million depending on the market, but uh, and this, this was, and, this, and these franchise values have quadrupled right. in many cases over the last five or eight years, which shows you the business is growing up um, in, in a lot of ways, so and, you know, something we haven't talked about is there's new soccer stadiums around, around the country we played our championship game in Columbus, and that was the first soccer-specific stadium 15 years ago, now it's sort of the oldest stadium in in the league and so it's just there's so many really good things happening in our league right now it's an exciting time
2: we see that the nfl has done a deal with twitter to have some of their games thursday night football games broadcast on twitter streaming you just talked about vr before do you see a day where like i have apple tv you talked about apple earlier you know, and there's a lot of, whether it's HBO streaming, everything seems to be going streaming. People want things on demand. Do we
1: see sports heading in that direction? How many of you guys have a cable subscription of some kind, as students? Yeah, so maybe three quarters of you. Um, cable, the cable business continues to lose customers. Because people are going. What they, what's called over-the-top. So if you have Hulu or Apple TV or HBO now, um, um, that's called over-the-top. You're not going through a cable distributor going directly to the content provider. And that's happening more and more. Uh, but sports has yet to do that in full. The NFL announced a deal with Twitter that the Thursday night games will be on, will be on Twitter. But it's also on network TV. Right. So, um, and they, they, they experimented with Yahoo, a game from London last right. year, doing that. So right now, right now, uh, cable industry is still spending the rights fees to, to retain sports exclusively on cable. Um, I, I think there will be a time when, when rights deals are done with a, a Yahoo or, or a Google uh, directly. I do see that happening. When I'm not sure. It just seems like you know the millennials
2: consume on their mobile devices. So you have to show your product where they're consuming and and thus streaming and giving them the opportunity to watch
1: on their devices is important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the Final Four is a great example. You could, you could watch on your device, but you had to be authenticated. So you can only watch on your device if you have a cable subscription. So right. that's happening more and more. But it's definitely where it's going. That's where people are consuming their, their, their content. See, I like the HBO model where you
2: don't have to have cable. You can just say, all right, I'm going to pay 14 99 a month. I think what a lot of people want and I'll speak for myself, is you want a la carte. So I'll pay this for HBO, I'll pay this for MLS, I'll pay this for you know, Hulu or whatever it may be, and these are the networks that I want to have, but give me the choices instead of, I gotta pay this for 800 channels, 700
1: of which I may not watch. Yeah, it's tricky. The ESPN commands the most, the most money of any, and seven or eight dollars of your bill, every person's bill goes to ESPN. So the the little lady in forest grove who never watches espn is spending seven or eight dollars right so the, so the masses are subsidizing the few it's it'll be interesting if carte happens
2: so within the last week uh nba owners and again mike used to be the leader for the portland trailblazers and you've worked for the vancouver grizzlies and you worked in the league office and memphis grizzlies um, jersey ads very small not as big as what we see with with mls did you see this coming, were we moving in that direction, or is this as earth shattering as some people are, you know, it's appalling, and this is
1: crazy. Now think about it, um, you know, when I was your age, there was no signage on the ice, there was no signage on courtside, there was right. no signage on outfield walls. Um, and I think people understand, it's, it's part of it. If you're a skier in the Olympics, you, you come down off your race and you, you got your, you got your all your manufacturers are on your ski and your tennis players, right. it's, NASCAR. It's it, it's, it, it's part of the business, and soccer around the world, as you may know, it's accepted. You have a, a corporate sponsor on your front of your jersey and a Major League of Soccer. We've we've always had um, a sponsor on the front of the jersey. In our case, it's Alaska Airlines. And so, no, this was absolutely coming. Uh, there's things that work out. You know, how much of its national revenue versus how much of local revenue? How do you share the revenue? How do you price it? How do you make sure that the Playing fields, even so, the big market teams like New York don't have an unfair advantage, competitive advantage. And, and where so, they, they had uh, things to work out over the last few years, but no, it was absolutely inevitable. And I think it's going to only uh, proliferate in other sports.
2: I have a daughter, as you well know. Uh, you, you know, we've talked about the thorns in the news lately, has been this equal pay for female athletes and, and male athletes. And they're basically saying, you know, we're playing the same amount of time at a tennis tournament or a soccer game, we should be paid equally. How do you solve that riddle? Because it's, you know, this has been built up over time and change sometimes isn't easy, but there's a lot of discussion and pressure around the U.S. Women's National Team around this, and and it's a big conversation right now.
1: It is. It's an important one. I mean, there's no denying the Women's National Team has been unbelievably successful. We have a number of Women's national team players on the Portland Thorns, and they've been incredible. And won the World Cup last year uh, in Canada. Um, they get great numbers on TV. You know, so the question is, you know, do they still do they still account for the same amount of business and revenue as the men's do? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but um, but if they do, you know, you can make the case that they, they deserve equal pay. But I, I think you're going to see right now they're out of co- out of contract, they're not under, or the collective bargaining agreement is effectively expiring, which is why this case uh, came to pass. So I think you'll see a dramatic change when the new collective bargaining agreement um, gets renegotiated. And there's a sense of urgency. The Olympics happen this, uh, this summer in Brazil, as you may know. And so I think you'll see uh, this suit and the discussion catalyze a new agreement, which will take a major step forward. So before we open it up
2: to questions from the students, a few quick hitting questions for you.
1: Where's your championship ring? In my uh, watch drawer at home. I haven't, I haven't worn it yet. It's, it's, it's just really big. Uh, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just really big. So uh, I haven't, it's in my, in my watch drawer at home. And, I, uh,
2: and what occasions will you put it on your finger and wear it out for? When you're next month at the SBJ Awards in New York, you have to put that on, don't you? Uh, maybe, Up for maybe.
1: team of the year? When you guys graduate, I'll come to your graduation and wear it. A um, little bling? No, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but, um, but no, I, I haven't worn it yet. So
2: for those of you who don't know Mike that well, I always say that if I ever need a food recommendation, a restaurant recommendation, this is the guy to come to, not only for Portland, but really for any city that you're going to. So I would say, I'm going to New York next month, when you are, give me a good restaurant in, uh, in New
1: York. Uh, it's my, um, I love Japanese food. Okay. Um, and uh, I think Nobu in uh, Soho is one of my favorites. But bring a fat wallet or someone else's credit <laughs> card. <laughs> or take out a 30-year mortgage on the sushi. But it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's really good. No, Nobu is one of my favorites. And then Portland
2: has really become known as a, as a foodie town. I know you've got... The, the common f- salad bar is, is really, yeah. really <laughs> a, one of my favorites. Uh, if you guys go to Mother's Bistro downtown... Mike Scramble on the menu is named after this guy right here. So go try Mike Scramble on the menu at Mother's Bistro. I we know Lisa.
1: every time it's ordered, so please order.
2: It's like that episode of, uh, did you ever see the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David, you know, he's... He, Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> he wants the sandwich named after him. And then they, like they name it after uh what's the guy from cheers that was on there sam uh ted danson ted danson yeah so they they like take his sandwich away and they give it to ted danson so you got to make sure mike scramble always stays. i started out as an omelet but i got demoted to to scramble but (laughs) what's on your uh itunes playlist right now
1: uh let's see um do like ben rector i've been listening to him quite a bit um been definitely spotifying a lot lately um uh, Indy are, uh Counting Crows, always a favorite. What are you guys listening to? What's your favorite song? What? Yeah. See, it's not so easy being up here, is it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about, again, you talked earlier about The Power of Who as a book. Mm-hmm. Is there a book that you would recommend to the students that they read to either learn more about the business industry or sports industry? Is there something, you know, we have a mutual friend, John Spolstra, who's written some very good books. Um, Ice to the Eskimos is a good book. Is there a book that you would
1: recommend? Um, when I was a business school, I, I uh, had Jim Collins, the professor, he's written Good to Great and a number of other things, really great. More general management books. Um, there's um, uh, another professor I had, uh, Jeff Pfeffer, um, he writes about organizational behavior of people in politics, and, you know, what, what I have found is interesting, and think about this among your friends in the classroom and in the organizations you're in, you know, it's one thing having the skills and the knowledge to be successful, successful at the job, but the, maybe the most important greeting is, is the, the personal skills, the emotional intelligence, if you will, to be able to operate successfully among a team and in, in an organization. You can be as really incredibly competent and really know your stuff, but if you're crappy with people and don't get along with others, can't get other people to work with you, mm-hmm. you're not going to succeed. And so sometimes, especially you know, high-achieving students who are always think about you know get the skills, and sometimes may not pay attention to those <laughs> softer skills. Right. And so I really encourage you to to you know if you go to graduate study the organizational behavior, study the culture, understand how. To effectively operate within groups of people and within teams. That is as big a determinant of success as any sort of knowledge or, or skill set.
2: Well, and I think it's as important as we've discussed earlier. This group, you know, people are more and more with their iPad and with, you know, communicating electronically. And like you just said, having the ability to have an in person conversation and interview well and, understand how to navigate the culture of an organization or a team is is very important
1: absolutely just think about the teams you're on the organizations you're in the people who you like to work with why do you like to work with them and why are they successful at motivating a team and and those skills are just so critical in any environment in my my view
2: so I went to Loyola Marymount. sorry everyone Uh, so did Keith there by the way we went to to college together I know. Again, we'll wrap with this University of Portland, near and dear to your heart. You're, you're friends with the president and the athletic director, and um, just maybe share a few thoughts on on what this campus has meant to you, because you know Portland is your home.
1: Yeah, I, uh, when I got when I got to Portland, um, my you know my schools back east and down California, and so I got to know. He's no longer here, but uh, Father Tom Doyle was. Uh, head of student affairs here, and just a really remarkable man. Um, and I got to just met him through friends in town, and, and he was my first connection to the school, and, and just introduced me to, this, to the campus and to the, uh, to the school. And it's really a really special place. You, you guys have a really uh, amazing faculty, amazing facility. Um, the most amazing resource is, is, is each other. Um, make lifelong friends, learn from each other. You'll, I mean, I'm 25 years out of school, and I still stay in touch with college friends uh, all the time and that, that is the, the, the best thing, but you got, it's, a, it's a special place. And one of the things about, I've talked with Father Mark about is, uh, and he believes this uh, very much, is that you have an incredible community here, no doubt, but you also have an incredible laboratory um, just 10, 15 minutes away. So get downtown and go see the lectures and the museums and whatever turns you on, go to the restaurants, uh, go, to, go to music, whatever you're into, uh, go, go to music and obviously, put everything into your your school, but go out and explore Mm -hmm. Portland. It's it's a really fantastic city with a lot of really amazing things going on, lectures and readings. I went to a really cool dance performance last night, and it's all accessible. Most most places have student rates, and so you guys are a really wonderful place here. Um, Take advantage of it. It flies by like that. Um, Before you know it, you're working stiff like me. Um, So, no, but I I love the school.
2: All right, Brian Griggs, my producer, has a microphone. He's going to come around. You guys have an amazing opportunity right now. Someone who has a wealth of experience in sports over many years to ask questions. So raise your hand if you have a question for uh, Mike.
3: Hi, Mike. My name is Malika Andrews. My boss at AP, Annie Peterson, actually spoke very highly of you and encouraged me to come here tonight. Um, but I'm the editor-in-chief of the student newspaper here on campus and the award-winning student newspaper i here on campus. <laughs> what a, what a award? Um, the, for, for best newspaper for a, student, or for a school under oh, 5,000 cool. in the country, yeah. Um, but we are going all digital next year. And I know you spoke about, a lot about the importance of digital and, um, you know, the you interned at Apple and different things like that. So I was wondering if you could speak to what is most important to keep in mind for sports teams, for conducting sports teams in the digital space, and then how we can apply that here.
1: And tell me your name again, please.
3: Malika Andrews.
1: Malita. Malika. With a K. Malika. Yes, Thank sir. you, Malika. It's a great question. Um, we talk about this a lot, too. Um, you know, what is our voice, right? And who do we... What is our voice? And, and we, we... Actually, a University of Portland alum um, is ha- handling our social media right now. And so we, we're... we're entrusting a young man with speaking to you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people. We need to arm him and everybody else who has interactions with the public with what is our voice? What are we all about? And, and we can't monitor every, every post and every tweet that people do, nor should we. But we have to have faith that in our case, Matt, a UEP alum, will speak in a consistent way. He'll screw up sometimes and there'll be some things we don't agree with. And so what, Malika what's really important is to inculcate among our staff and our club and our players what we're all about who we are um, what our culture is what we believe in and if you do that effectively then they're going to represent you and speak in a relatively consistent voice um, and we spend a lot of time training our players on we, we want them on social media um, but there's so many cautionary tales of athletes and entertainers stepping in and poop, right? And um, and so we really, which Brian actually helps us, but we bring in others to understand the do's and don'ts and the pitfalls of, of being in real-time communication with hundreds of thousands, if not more, people. So to me, the, 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 the real crux of it is to, to have a true sense of self as an organization, be able to communicate that effectively and have people sort of carry with that with them when you, they're representing you digitally or otherwise? Great question, Malika, it's an important one. Thank
2: you.
0: A lot of excitement here on the campus with the new uh, head basketball coach, uh, TP. And uh, you know, you've know, you been in the Portland market for 20 plus years. Um, you've also had the experience of helping new teams in new markets establish a brand and identity and get people to come out to the games. What advice would you give University of Portland in kind of bringing on this new era under uh, Coach Porter and getting the community to rally around, not just the, the basketball team, but all the other teams up here?
1: Listen, the University of Portland has an amazing, has an amazing sports program. You know, people, don't, people don't know the cross-country team teams are unbelievable. The, the rowing teams are awesome. There's a great tradition up and down the line with, with, with all U.P. sports. And basketball's no exception. There's a lot of great tradition here. And I thought Terry hit all the right notes. Did some of you guys see his press conference? I think he hit all the right notes. He, he's cognizant of the past, the good and bad, um, cognizant of the history and tradition. Um, you know, listen, we're all in this business to put a winning product on the field. There's no substitute for putting a good product on the field, and he's going to do that too. Um, but I'd like to see... You know, I'd like to see more students at games. I think Terry alluded to that in his comments. I know Scott Lakeham, the, the very, very excellent AD here, uh, feels the same way. You guys have to, you guys and your, and your cohorts uh, among the student body have to be motivated to, to come to games. You see it in soccer, um, but not enough fans f- fill up um, trials yet. So I think Terry's going to connect with people individually. He's going to connect with the boosters. He's going to do a good job recruiting. He's going to put a good product on the floor. The experience of going to trials is terrific. And so I think all the ingredients are in place and it just has to be galvanized. And I think Terry's a really good choice to do it. And
2: you're a courtside uh, season ticket holder. I am. Yeah. Excellent.
1: So he's, Try to keep he's, my yeah,
2: you're, you're yeah. backing it up. You're not just saying, come out to the games. You're going out yourself. Yeah, it's a great product. It's a really, it's a really good experience. You had a question? Yeah. We want to make sure that this is all audio captured. Yeah, so you, you talked a little bit about like, ticket sales and then like, the players refocusing on the field, but as a sports exec, for you, what's one of the biggest struggles you've seen in the months following winning a
1: championship? And your name, please? Uh, Colin Lashway. So Colin's question yeah. is, you know, is, is, are there challenges winning a championship? Um, and, and there are, Colin. There, there are I mean, a few things. One is um, the economics of sports. All leagues but baseball have salary caps. Baseball has you know, it's pretty onerous Uh, luxury tax and so it's very hard to keep winning teams together you've seen that around sports because guys that win a championship you have guys having good years and guys have good years they want to get paid and deservedly and it's just really hard to keep the team together and so you see that in sports how do you you keep the core together and keep winning but you know deal with the realities of the economics of a a salary cap and in our case we lost a couple key guys for that very reason we replaced them and we'll see if if we made good choices and keep that that winning together, so that's one one example. Um, you know, the example expe- expectations get high, right? And so the Blazers, you know, are interesting. The, they had lo- they they lost their best player, Lamarcus Aldridge, and there weren't high expectations for the team, and they had a great year because they've exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. And so now we, you know, we we, we, we won the cup. You know, uh, anything short of getting close to that may be perceived as as a shortcoming, and so. Expectations get higher, but listen—you want that, right? You know that comes with the territory. Um, but um, but listen—it's it's great to, to, to have won a championship. I'm not, we're not complaining. But I think the biggest challenge, Colin, is just the is trying to keep the team together, making tough choices from a player personnel standpoint—is who to keep and who to you know who strategically move on and how to replace those people and keep the core together and keep that winning that winning um, chemistry that you developed together. That, that probably is the trickiest part great question.
2: Other questions? Raise your hand and here we go. Hi, I'm Marshall Smith and I was curious as to um, what role statistical sports analytics and especially the movement in sports analytics plays in the Timbers front office decisions and in the front office decisions of some of the other organizations you work with as far as both like personnel decisions like you were talking about dealing with salary cap and finding the right fit and in-game decisions with um, finding lineups that work correctly
1: and um, things of that nature. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question, Marshall. And, and uh, you've seen um, a real a real revolution in sports across the board on the use of analytics and, and data. And this wave, especially in baseball, these you know, GMs in their 30s, these MIT graduates who are, who are, are you know, data geeks, um, Soccer was a little late, late, late coming to it, because soccer is not, on the surface, not as statistically driven as perhaps other sports. Um, but we employ um, a Harvard student who's a leading analyst kid, and there's an article on MLSoccer.com just about this young man that we employ um, last week. And we have, our GM has this, 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 this battery of key performance indicators. And when we scout players, we look at this various indicators, um, performance, and come up with an equation. And, uh, you know, you couple that with meeting the kid and understanding his family, knowing his background and his style. And, and you know, the, the eye is also powerful. But uh, soccer is, 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 is increasingly um, data-dependent, uh, and our clubs are getting more and more sophisticated, and, and we're sort of on the cusp of that. But if that's something you're thinking about doing, Marshall, I think it's a really fertile ground uh, for young people um, it's a burgeoning part of our, our business, and it's one that's only going to keep growing. Great question.
2: I tell people, uh, in my opinion, the two fastest ways in the door in sports. One, digital. Two, analytics. Those are great areas, is entry points. If you can sports. score goals, that would help too. Yeah. <laughs> I know this young lady right here had a question.
0: Hi, my name's Ellie. Um, you talked a lot about how the timbers and how the MLS is very young. And I know that on the women's side, the league has folded a lot. Now we're going on kind of one of the longest periods on the women's side, having a league. So I was wondering if you could talk about the growth kind of incorporating the women's with the MLS and talk about how you see that league in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ellie. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting. Um, it's been interesting to watch uh, women's sports in our country. I was actually at the NBA league office uh, when we were launching the WNBA, and it worked a lot on that launch. And it's been, it's been a successful launch, and WNBA now is 20 years old. Um, but soccer has had, as, as Ellie points out, it's had two failed leagues before this current league. And, and, it's, and it's tragic because you know, our women plays are the best in the world at soccer, and women collegiate uh, women's soccer is, is at a incredibly high level just like uh, here at UP is a great example. And so we should have a thriving, viable uh, Women's Professional Soccer League. If you're a good collegiate player, you should have a place to play domestically. And this league that the Thorns, our team is in, is now in its fourth year. And it's notable because neither of the last two leagues, the first two leagues that failed, ever made it to the fourth year. So we are making a bit of history this season. but, it, but there's a lot to, to be so written in, in, in this story. Um, we're averaging 15,000 fans, but that's not the norm. And so we've got to continue to grow the game uh, on a professional level for women. And the, their success at the World Cup last year was, was great for us. Uh, they should have a very successful uh, go of it in, in Brazil at the Olympics. Um, but why we did it here in Portland? Because we believe that women should have a professional soccer league and we knew it could be successful here, and if it's successful here, I was just on the phone with our friend, some friends of mine who are with an L.A. soccer club, not to be named. <laughs> They're looking really hard at it because of our success. Orlando came on, um, Houston came on after we came on, and so the model of one organization, one soccer organization, running a men's and women's team is a good one because we have the facility, and we have the infrastructure, and we have the brain power, and we have the reach and the market, muscle to be able to make it both successful, if you're committed to it, and we are. And so I'm really bullish on it, and it's one of the most rewarding things, frankly, that we've done here is to see the thorns come to life. Um, we didn't know what we had, and, and to, to have 15,000 people, a game for women, it's awesome. So I encourage you to come to a game. Uh, but we, we, we believe in the league, and we want it to succeed, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work to, to, to make it viable, but we, we think it will be. We have amazing, amazing women soccer players in our country and they should have a league of their own.
2: Other questions? We've got one back there, and then we'll come up here to you.
1: Hi, Mark Spear.
0: Uh, you kind of briefly touched on virtual reality. Um, my question is, with innovative changes such, a, such as virtual reality and other technologies coming about, how do you see the fan experience changing and marketing kind of evolving with that technology?
1: You know, it's, it's, and tell me your name again, please. Mark Spear. Mark. Uh, yeah, markets. Interesting. Um, you know, clearly the the at home experience has come such a long way. Uh, HD TV and and flat screen TVs and home audio all becoming more and more affordable, more and more mass market. And things like the first and ten line, right? When I was growing up, there wasn't a first and ten line, huh. right? Now it's like if you watch game without one, it's like where where is this? Um, and so um, and and real time statistics and two screens and, and being able to all now. Uh, a really big part of that, home viewing. In stadium, you know, technology's been great for easy access for tickets and ordering food and getting real-time stats, but consuming the game itself, I'm not sure yet, in my view. And that's why sports is so magical, because, um, you know, you you can flip on Netflix or Amazon Prime on your home theater and get a really good movie experience, it may not want to go to the theater that night and get a really good experience. There's nothing like going to a Timber, watching a Timber's game at home on TV, I think is a good experience, but it's nothing like going live. And so I'm not sure yet, Mark, how it's going to really play out. Yes, technology has absolutely helped the fan experience. Parking apps and, and hey, hey Mark, I can't go tonight, here's my ticket, and, and getting in, and loaded ticket cards and, and uh, ordering, uh, ordering a ticket and, and all that sort of convenience And ease and ingress and egress and and transaction has all absolutely changed dramatically um, the the live experience for fans across sports. But the actual act of consuming what's happening on the field, that's the beauty of it. And so that's why live theater is still magical. There's nothing quite like it. And so I'm not sure that's gonna change anytime soon. I think around it and how you get there and consume it and transact will continue to evolve and improve. But the magic of of seeing what's unfolding before your eyes, I still think that's a really visceral, raw, immediate experience that isn't yet affected by all the advances in technology. Great question. Thank you, Mark. Right here, we have a question.
0: Hi, uh, my name is Jenna. Um, and you talked about being like a lowly schlep working for the athletic department, and as a current schlep i'm wondering <laughs> how did you make
3: that jump <laughs> hello
1: schlep yeah. now there's a lowly schlep but you're a schlep you're not a lowly sub so, so you're like a mid-level schlep that's good uh so jenna what was the question perhaps we were joking about schlep um you know it's it's not a jump it's just it's just doing the right thing every day it's it's working hard uh you're in the athletic department Yeah, I do. that's great that's great experience just you know work hard and get to know folks like jason and and the people and and uh and learn from them and, and build authentic relationships. And just do your job well. Because, you know, Jason's going to get promoted or go on be an AD somewhere. And he's going to, you know, that Jenna, she was a great slut for me. Uh, and I want her to slut for me somewhere else. And, um, and that's how it happens. You know, when I, when I went to work at the NBA, I got hired by um, um, this guy, Steve Mills. And then he's he... with the Knicks now? Yeah, he was with the Knicks. Uh, and when I, I went... To Nike, and I went to the Grizzlies, and he was then president of Madison Square Garden, and he was looking for someone to run, run the New York Rangers business, and he goes, "That Mike was a great schlub. Let's give <laughs> him, uh, and he hired me. And so, and and because I had worked hard and done well and built a good relationship with him, so just learn as much as you can, put in in as much as you can, um, be a really valuable employee, and you know, when you when you leave the internship, uh, make sure. You know, guys like Jason say, she was awesome. If you need a recommendation, don't. And what will happen is someone will call Jason and say, hey, I'm looking for someone to do this. And, and he'll think, ah, you know, Jenna was really, she was really good. She might be right for her. And that's what it happened. But just, just get the most out of it every day. And uh, it'll pay off. And it's, that's a great experience. Good for you, Jenna. One last question. Who has a question? One more back here.
2: Hi, Nick. Um, I'm new to town. I'm the new men's
0: soccer coach here. And uh, just wanted to ask and pick your brain we've come up with some brainstorming ideas of trying to re-energize the men's program and getting some attendance at Merlot and just building a brand. There's a great history here, but uh, want to continue to piggyback off of all the good work that you've done. And what takeaways would you have after all you know, your championship run and the things you've done to, to get Providence Park the way it is that we could maybe use at, at Merlot? You
1: know, uh, welcome, by the way, and thanks for coming and uh, I'm glad you're here. It's, uh, I go to a lot of UP men's and women's games, and I love the experience. Listen, there's no, there's no, there's no silver bullet, right? There's, there's no one thing to do. It's just, it's, again, understanding who you guys are. You guys are one of the best collegiate soccer programs in the country. You play in one of the best soccer venues. You have one of the best followings. And, and you lost a little bit of success on the field, but that's, that's sports, right? It ebbs and flows. And so it's, it's, it's rediscovering who you are and it's projecting that out to, to the players and to recruits and to the marketplace. Um, you know, I do think, you know, and, and stuff, tough. There's, there's a lot of debate whether the Timbers being here is a good thing for UP soccer or a bad thing. You know, one could argue, oh, a lot of soccer, maybe that detracts from, but I, I'm a firm believer that us being a vibrant, dynamic soccer community in general is good for all of us. And you're going to see kids who come through our academies go to university, play for the pilots, and hopefully come and, and become first team members. And, and that's absolutely going to happen. And so what you're doing is so complementary with what we're doing, we believe. We want you guys to be successful. And, um, you know, it's a great experience. And I think, we, I think just generally we've got to get more people to the bluff. It's, it's so easy to get here. It's so many great things going on. I talk to people all the time. Have you been out to UP for basketball, soccer, or lectures, and so many people in town haven't discovered it. And, and, and so how do we as a, as a university community do that? For soccer, for basketball, for all the things that are happening here. How do we sort of connect? And Father Mark's very in tune with that. And he and I have talked about it quite a bit. Father Mark's for the radio audience, the president of the school. How do we do that? How do we, how do we leverage the, the Portland for the benefit of the students? And how do we le- leverage the community for the benefit of the of the, of the college community, and I think soccer is a great example. because people love the game and they love the venue, and so we've got to we've got to you know extend the tentacles of, of the program out to. But you know, just I think just you know reestablishing who you guys are, reestablishing putting the the product back on, on equal footing. And from what I understand, you're doing a great job already, and and uh, the energy is really really great, and and um, and just becoming increasingly. Um, you know, more and more relevant in, in, in wider circles, but you're doing all the right things and, and, uh, and you a know, great tradition and, and uh, I have no doubt you'll be, you'll be very successful. I look forward to it. A few final words before we wrap up.
2: First of all, thank you to the University of Portland for hosting us. Thank you to Jason Bro, to Scott Lakeham. Let's give them a hand. Thank you. Thank you to the students for being here. Excellent questions tonight. Thank you to Boingo Wireless for being here and being our uh, sponsor of our road show. We love taking our show to campuses. It wouldn't be possible without Boingo Wireless, so thank you to them. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our show, sportsbusinessradio.com, or if you go onto iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio, we're one of the top 100 business news podcasts. We're on Twitter at SB Radio, so you can follow us. You can listen to this show. It's been recorded, and you can hear your Great questions, and most of all, thank you to uh, Mike Golub for being here tonight. Give Mike a hand. And thank you to Brian Griggs, my producer, for being here uh, as well. Thank you, Brian. Thank you all very much. Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl Fifty broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage? and beat last year's record before halftime. And then nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago Soldier Field and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks to Mike Golub from the Portland Timbers for being our featured guest at the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo Wireless. Speaking of Boingo Wireless, thanks to Doug Lauder and Louise Chapman who made the trip and were in person with us at the Roadshow at the University of Portland. Great to have them there. And then Jason Bro and Scott Lycom from the University of Portland. Great hosts. Great turnout from the students, really insightful questions, uh, enjoyed the whole experience. Thank you to Brian Griggs, our executive producer, always does a great job. Thanks to Brad Kinzer, who is my friend and also our photographer at this event. I have him shoot my event in New York, the Sports PR Summit, and we brought him in to shoot this event. So if you haven't seen some of the pictures... On social media, follow us on Twitter at SB Radio. You can become friends with us on Facebook and you can follow the hashtag SB Radio U of Portland. SB Radio U of Portland if you want to go back and look at some of the tweets from our roadshow evening at the University of Portland. Thanks to Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Bastano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at Bastano.com or on Twitter at Bastano. You can catch us anytime on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, or rated in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50. Must follow sports business feeds by Forbes.com for 2015. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business. Radio.
3: Hello, everyone. Mark King here, president of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens, Competing in Sports, Business, and Life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there, challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen.
2: Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Postano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, L.A. Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Postano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to postano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is postano.com.